Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Portland continues to struggle to get people into safe housing. And street camping, trash, and other visible reminders of the homelessness crisis continue to be big issues inside City Hall and across Thoreau City. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with You Oregonian. Up next, reporter Nicole Hayden, who covers homelessness for The Oregonian and Oregon Live. We talked about her street survey that found hundreds of people experiencing homelessness never heard from an outreach worker, other takeaways from her first year reporting on the beat in Portland, why Mayor Ted Wheeler keeps issuing executive orders, and what advocates say are feasible ideas to help people off the streets. All that and more. Here's our conversation. Nicole Hayden, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. So Nicole, I confess it's hard to stay up to speed at times with everything that's happening on your beats. There are so many important developments, it seems, every week. But I think before we get to the political back and forth, we really should go back to some of the groundwork you and partners uh, on the ground did in recent months. I was hoping you could talk about your street survey, um, how it came about, how you executed it, and what you learned. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to chat about it. How it came about is that we were hearing two different sides of a story and found there was no data to kind of prove which was accurate. So when the city would sweep encampments, folks living unsheltered who experienced the sweeps would say they were never offered services prior to the sweep and that they often... um, never came in contact with outreach workers, and they didn't know how to start the housing process themselves. On the city side, they said they continually sent out outreach workers. Resources were always offered prior to sweeps and that people were just service resistant. We wanted to kind of find out where the truth was in between those two claims. And so we decided to design a survey to find out what people were truly experiencing. Yeah, those are two wildly divergent views, right? Right. Logistically, how did you pull this off? Can you give uh, listeners a, a sense of, of how you went about surveying people experiencing homelessness and, and how many people were, were interviewed? Yeah, so first we worked with homeless experts and research experts to design a survey that would actually give us useful information. And we decided that we would set out to survey 300 people who were unsheltered in Portland. That would give us a 5% error margin, meaning that um, the data we collected was pretty accurate for the larger homeless population. Mm -hmm. And we partnered with um, Street Roots to uh, get the manpower on the street to do the surveys. So I and about like seven folks who were either currently homeless or formerly homeless took to the streets with me to um, ask people about their lived experiences. Can you give a sense of what you learned? I mean, what were the major takeaways and what results surprised you, if any? Yeah, the major takeaways are that people are not service resistant. That's a narrative that 
we often hear, and it's not correct. People want help, and they just don't know how to do it, or there are so many barriers in their life that they can't do it by themselves. We found that of those who are living on the street, like in a tent or just outside, those who uh, came in contact with an outreach worker, mm-hmm. 75% never heard back from that outreach worker. And they were expected to carry on the very, very complicated housing process on their own. And we found that is really a challenge if people don't have connection to the internet, don't have a cell phone, don't have transportation to make it to appointments. You know, City Data says all these people are being helped with initial contacts, but there is no follow through. So that was not successful. Okay. So the city's argument of, hey, we're making contact here might have some veracity, but that's only because there was no subsequent attempts to make sure people are getting the services that they want. Correct. How did this survey play out uh, in terms of the fallout? I mean, what what about advocates and, and people who have been working with people experiencing homelessness? What, what did they have to say about the results? Yeah, I think The result that really got the most reaction was that we found 95% of people who are swept by the city are not offered services beforehand, meaning like they're not offered a shelter bed or an alternative place to go or any help. That's something that the city should be doing. And so advocates were quite upset about that and definitely wanted to see change. The city did say that they are launching like a coordinated uh, street response effort to be able to better offer people help before they sweep. But we will see what that actually looks like once they roll it out. So Nicole, sweeps have been kind of this, you know, obviously a very polarizing. Um, it's you know, phrase and policy for Mm -hmm. years and years and years in Portland. Um, And that's, you you know, ultimately the point when there's a lot of frustration by people who might live near encampments at this point. Um, And I'm assuming by the, by the people who are living outside as well. I mean, the fact that this is what the data show that 95%, right, Um, were not contacted um, on something that is usually viewed as a last resort to clear people away for whatever reason. I mean, that's that's pretty – I mean, what do you make of that? It seems like an indictment of the whole system. It's definitely – a much higher percentage than we were expecting and uh, definitely felt like a failure of the system. So what's been the political fallout from your reporting? I mean, what have folks inside City Hall had to say, if anything, um, from this very extensive survey? Yeah, it's been a mixture. There are some folks within City Hall that were really concerned and shocked at the result and felt that things needed to be better. But then there were others, particularly on the county side, who were adamant that our data was not accurate and that these were just people sharing their experiences and how do we know they're sharing accurate experiences. Some people even tried to uh, suggest that we can't believe what homeless people say. And that was really disheartening to hear multiple people in the county kind of say that. I, I would imagine that did not go over well with your sources and people that that you talk to who may either be experiencing homelessness or, you know, we're homeless in the 
Mm -hmm. uh, in the near past, right? Right. Yeah, no matter how you look at the data, whether you think it's um, bulletproof or not, it's still 300 people shared their experience and even just one person sharing their experience um, is really, uh, is not a good reflection of how the system is working. So you explained how, you know, the human side, how, how difficult it is to navigate this, you know, when you're trying to find out where to go for services and what have you, but from the other side, why, why are we, you know, as a, um, we putting that on the, uh, the governments and the, mm-hmm. the, uh, social service organizations that are performing those services. Why are we so bad at this? Um, why are we, why do we struggle at reaching out to people? Um, is it that there's too many people out there or that we don't have enough resources or, or why, why the failure? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. First, we are good at housing people, but we're good at housing a particular set of people. So, you know, we prioritize families, um, children, mm-hmm. veterans, and you can see in the data that those folks get housed very quickly. And that's a great thing. And we should prioritize those individuals. Um, but the individuals who have uh, more challenges, say they've been living on the street for uh, years. So if you're chronically homeless, that means you've been on the street for more than a year. Or if you have some sort of mental health diagnosis or substance use addiction, all of those things add to the you know, mountains you have to climb within the system to get housed. So those are the hardest to house individuals. And those are the folks we're seeing on the street. So visually, we're seeing, you know, this population that's just so hard. We're not seeing all the successes the county is doing. And in order to reach this particular population that has, you know, layers of challenges, we just need more outreach workers. And that's where I think we lack. We don't have the capacity for outreach workers to kind of narrow in on one individual and just show up day after day after day to kind of walk people through the housing system. And, you know, when you need someone to keep showing up and they don't have a stable address. You kind of have to like track them down. Maybe they go through multiple phone numbers. It's just very hard. And when you don't have the capacity and you're trying to juggle, say, 25 different caseloads, it just, it's impossible. It feels like at times. It's a significant time investment, but Mm -hmm. it's also a significant emotional investment when you're trying to help people who might be experiencing trauma, might be experiencing a lot in their lives. It's not as easy as a phone call. Right. And I would like to say our, all of our outreach workers are really great in the county. They make significant impact. There's just not enough of them. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of the what you heard from from them after the survey and people saying, you know, it's frustrating to not have those resources? Yeah, definitely. Some organizations kind of felt like we were portraying outreach workers in a negative light, but that wasn't our intention. We wanted to show that you know, people are doing good work. We just don't have enough federal funding at the end of the day to do enough of it. So uh, we've definitely tried to lean in on and show yeah, the lack of resources in the community. Okay. Well, I know we've talked about this before, but it's been mm-hmm. months. Voters in the metro area and uh, the metro regional government approved a measure that was intended to do a lot to, to help 
people experiencing homelessness across Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas counties. Um, and I know you've reported on on how that money is rolling out. I mean, are, are those resources intended to do just this, what we're talking about here, or is this a, a different purpose um, on that front? No, it all ties in. Um, yeah, that measure is really looking to expand the number of apartments that we have and expand the amount of supportive services, so like behavioral health services. And part of the joint office budget that was largely funded by this new measure is to deploy many more outreach workers in the community. Mm -hmm. And so those things are currently like getting built up. They're not at capacity yet. So we can't really see the full impact of those things that the measure funded yet. But I think in the next year is when we will start to see an impact and when we can really talk about like if there was a significant change in the system. People aren't going to love that answer, right? That it's going to no. be another. It's going to be another whole year. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned the joint office, that's the joint office of um, between the city and the county, right? Yes, that uh, addresses homeless services. Yep. A key player in in that world uh, recently stepped down, uh, Mark Jolin. Uh, mm-hmm. w- was that just a, a matter of you know a changing of the guard? A, you know, it's a intense position that he led for many years or, or is there something else uh, going on beyond just kind of a change in leadership? Yeah, there's definitely lots of speculation. At the end of the day, I heard from many people that Mark was just exhausted and needed a change. Wherever you stand on how you think the homeless leadership out of the county has been, Mark Jolin was someone who would like show up on the coldest nights and hand out blankets to people. So he didn't just tell people what to do. He was out there. So yeah, I think he just needed a change. Let's stay in the political realm a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Mayor Ted Wheeler has been very busy recently, um, in recent weeks, um, maybe more than a month, issuing several executive orders on issues related to homelessness in, in Portland. Can you talk about why exactly he's, he's been so active and what his policies, if they're in place, what they're intending to accomplish? Yeah, I think he was going for large, big impact quickly. So some of the initial orders that came out of the office, he uh, kind of marketed as protecting people who are homeless. Um, but there were critics that said he was not protecting folks. And he essentially made rules of where people can camp and where they cannot. And he said they can't camp near you know high traffic areas because people were getting hit by cars and um can't camp near the new safe rest villages that are slated to open in the next year because um he wants people in those villages to feel safe but there were critics saying that you're just creating more rules and allowing the city to you know sweep more people aggressively. Yeah. And are, and are these ideas without the enforcement mechanism behind them or is there you know real teeth there? I think that's what we haven't seen yet. We haven't seen big enforcement of this yet, but the intent is to have enforcement. And at the end of the day, if people don't move, you can call police and to make them move. Uh, you mentioned the fact, you know, you can't camp on freeway off ramps, right? Or mm-hmm. um, high 
crash corridors. And, you know, I know that there was a reporting in recent weeks that showed our record number of traffic fatalities that a disproportionate number of pedestrians in particular were people experiencing homelessness. I mean, how, how did, you know, was that just kind of a known fact in the people you talk to and your sources that was kind of, yes, th- this has been the situation? Yeah, they're definitely aware and it impacts people, you know, folks living in encampments um, have experienced a lot of tragedy lately as they see their friends um, get hit by vehicles. I think the critique, though, is that, yes, people need a safer place to live, but how are you going about moving them and what resources are you offering? And if you're just forcing them and not offering resources, are you really bettering their lives? Yeah, given the survey we just addressed, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the lack of outreach um, mm-hmm. due to do the resources that, you know, increasing the number of people uh, we are moving doesn't seem to help that situation. Right. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk more with Nicole Hayden. So, Nicole, you've been reporting on homelessness for years, long before you came to the Oregonian in January 2021. I'm wondering how, when you look back at the the last year, I mean, obviously, it's a remarkable year. We're living through a pandemic, and Mm -hmm. things are just seemingly always uh, a little bit (laughs) up in the air. But Mm -hmm. how are things feeling now, or how are you absorbing and thinking about your, your beat and this very important issue a year into the gig. Yeah, I think we're starting to see some new proposals while at the same time we're seeing an increase in shelter beds since some COVID restrictions are lifting. So it will be interesting to see as the COVID restrictions lift opening up additional beds if that has any positive impact on um, folks. Also, Just in the past few weeks, we've had, um, as the mayor has proposed some new plans, other organizations have come in to offer counter plans. So I think uh, this is kind of a pent-up response over the past year of frustration and people want to see change. So, for example, the mayor's office recently proposed this idea of a large encampment where people can come and legally set up their tents. They don't get actual shelter. They just get to pop up their tent and hundreds of people can uh, live there. Critics say that's a terrible response, that you're not really helping people. And so a group of housing organizations proposed that instead of putting energy into like, how can we shuffle people around Mm -hmm. the city? Why don't we take that same planning energy and find out how we can like house 3000 people in the next year. Um, And they do need county and city buy-in if they want to tackle this, but they want, you know, the city and county to do master leases, which means like the county would fund a full apartment building and then a housing organization would help connect people to those apartments and they would make them affordable. Um, So it will be interesting to see if anything comes out of these kind of polar opposite proposals. You know, we're seeing different proposals like centered around like Old Town, Chinatown. Is that what you're talking about? This 90 day reset plan or is that something else? 
Uh, the 90-day reset plan is an additional proposal um, in that essentially Old Town wants the city to come in and sweep homeless individuals and clean up the area. Uh, there's not really a plan of like how to house those people. So the housing organizations like Street Roots, Join, mm-hmm. um, the organizations that do the outreach effort, they want um, their 3,000 house project is kind of a response to both this old town proposal and also the city, the mayor's proposal. Uh, so instead of just focusing on the visual aspect of homelessness in the city, Um, how do we actually get those people into housing is what um, the organizations are pushing for. Yeah. And and what options are actually feasible to get people into safe housing? We know that it can take a long time to build new housing. And we have a lot of new affordable buildings in the pipeline that will be built in the next few years. But in the meantime, these orgs want to kind of partner with landlords and have, you know, a landlord commit one unit in their building to be an affordable unit and to work with organizations to get the rent for that one unit down um, so that someone who's homeless can afford to move in there. They, you know, also want help acquiring buildings to keep them affordable instead of just building new buildings, find ones in the city that we could keep the rent affordable instead of having that building increase the rent like we're seeing across the city. And then some other short-term things like uh, folks who are living outside and kind of informal encampments instead of sweeping them, they're asking that, you know, the city support those by offering actual weekly trash collection, hygiene stations, and, you know, connection to outreach workers that can connect people to long-term housing options. So things like that, both short-term and long-term to Mm -hmm. kind of move people through the system. What else are you working on? We are hoping to have a few more stories from our survey that we did. We kind of want to dive into how Uh, mental health plays into homelessness. And also we would love to work more on seeing what it's like to be an outreach worker, trying to help one person navigate the housing system and what challenges they encounter along the way. Nicole, we're kind of at this point now where the the indoor mask mandate is is gone. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people, you know, if you are navigating the metro area, might feel like things are completely back to quote unquote normal. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're talking to people who are living outside, do you have a sense of whether people feel the same way or is it different? Honestly, it kind of walking through homeless encampments and spending so much time working with unsheltered folks, it kind of felt like that was a different world during the pandemic all along. And so I don't think anyone really has realized that the mask mandate has lifted because they're life experience was so different. They weren't trying to go to restaurants (laughs) to begin with and they were outside. So their concerns were just so different than our concerns day to day. You know, Portland has always historically had this sense that it's a, it's a place that 
cares about people um, and is more accommodating than maybe other larger cities when it comes to, you know, just accepting visible homelessness. But I'm, I'm wondering if that feels like that's changed in the last year or if people you talk to who either work with people who are living outside or are living outside themselves feel maybe that there's a different tone, you know, and I just have this awful situation on the East Coast in my mind where you see um, someone who's targeting people experiencing homelessness and you just wonder if there's a different tenor than there might have been in the past. Yeah, it's definitely different here. I think on the positive note, you know, Portland is, I think, the one of the only cities that has a tax measure for homeless services. And I that's just wild to me that we had enough voters to approve that. That would not have been approved in many other cities. And on top of that, the city embraces, you know, a variety of different solutions, like the tiny home encampments. That's something many cities haven't like wrapped their minds around yet. So for all the critiques we have of how Portland and Multnomah County is handling the situation, we are a few steps ahead of many, many cities. But at the same time, we are seeing liberal cities that have historically embraced um, accepting homelessness on their streets kind of crack down on it. And I think that's what's coming out of the mayor's office is really wanting to clean up the visual aspect of homelessness quickly. And I think that feels a bit disappointing because that's kind of putting the cart before the horse. You can't clean that up before you kind of put all the structures in place. Um, For example, if the city wants to make people move, Mm -hmm. um, we should really not do that until, say, we have the safe rest villages set up. And we're quite a long ways away before we have these outdoor tiny home shelters available for people to go into when they're asked to leave where they're sleeping outside. I'm glad you brought that up because we hadn't talked about that. And, you know, you you mentioned that tiny homes have such Mm -hmm. a long history here. I mean, you think of Dignity Village, which is, Mm -hmm. gosh, it's it's, uh, stretches back to the early 2000s. Um, So uh, is the view that we need more, um, and this is Commissioner Dan Ryan, who, who has spearheaded this effort, that we, we need more right to dream twos and dignity villages spread across neighborhoods because the need is, is great or because they're, it's a successful model or kind of remind folks of why this is the, the policy we're pursuing. Both. Definitely. We need them all over the city, not just clustered in one area because the need is so great everywhere. And also it is a good model. A lot of people don't feel safe sleeping in mass shelters, you know, sleeping on a cot next to a stranger or maybe their dog isn't allowed or, you know, for whatever reason, it it doesn't feel safe. Sleeping outside in your tent feels safer to them. But these models offer, you know, a small home where people have a roof over their head, a door they can lock um, so they can, you know, leave their personal items in there during the day and like go about to you know go to work or work on the housing process they don't feel like they can't leave their tent because their stuff will get swept or stolen it's a place where they can be warm and it's a place they can have their own autonomy they can kind of decide how they live and they get privacy and so it's really 
if you pair that model with, you know, support services that help connect people to long-term housing, if that's what they want, it can be really successful. Well, thank you so much for all of your reporting and your innovative work, like the street survey and for taking time to explain all of it to us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with your Oregonian. I shared links to some of Nicole's recent stories in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.